0: CHAPTER 38 OF Forest DAYS BY G.P.R. JAMES This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. CHAPTER 38 It was evening, but one day remained to pass away before the arrival of that appointed for the wager of battle, and all Nottingham had been in hurry and confusion with the excitement of the approaching spectacle. The residence of the King in the castle had already filled the town fuller than it was ever known to be before. But now a still greater influx of people poured into it from all the country round to witness a transaction which combined all the splendour and display of one of the military pageants of the day with the interest of a deep tragedy. The citizens had flocked out of the town during the morning to see the preparation of the lists. Parties of pleasure had been made to the spot where the deadly struggle was to take place, and mirth and merriment had surrounded the scene, where two fellow creatures were soon to appear armed for mutual destruction, where bright hopes and fair prospects were to be blighted, and death and sorrow to share the victory. No tidings had been received by Hugh de Mothama from his forest friends. No circumstance had transpired which could aid him in proving his innocence, or could fix the guilt upon another. Prince Edward was evidently anxious and uneasy and the only person who seemed pleased with the whole affair was the king himself who affecting a dignified grace and calmness and declaring that he assumed the young lord of mothomer to be innocent till he was proved guilty treated him with courtesy and even with distinction it was the pampering of a gladiator before sending him into the arena for the secret of henry's good humour was that he was pleased at the excitement and satisfied with those who contributed to it not to show favour, however, as one of the most favourite ridden monarchs as ever lived thought fit to term it, he sent expressly to invite the young Earl of Ashby to repair with his train to Nottingham Castle, and partake of the royal hospitality before the combat, and Allured had already arrived, and taken possession of the apartments prepared for him. He had twice met with Hugh de Mothama, once in the hall, when many others were present, and once in the court when they were nearly alone their meeting had been watched by the frivolous and malicious always so numerous in courts who hoped and expected to see some outburst of angry feeling which might afford amusement for the passing hour but in this they were altogether disappointed the two adversaries saluted each other with grave courtesy and it was particularly remarked that alured's fierce impetuosity and somewhat insolent pride were greatly softened down and moderated nay more when his eyes lighted upon hugh de mothamer the expression was more sad than stern and some thought that there was hesitation in it also it is clear enough said sir harry grey to sir william geary it is clear enough he doubts the truth of the charge he has made he does not think the mothamer guilty "'He knows that someone must be guilty,' answered the other, "'and that is generally enough for an Ashby "'to make him vent his rage upon the first thing near.' "'But what has become of his good cousin Dickon?' demanded Grey. "'I have not seen him all day, nor yesterday, either.' "'I suppose he keeps at Lindwell,' replied Sir William Geary, "'or else has gone to his new manor of Cottington. "'People look cold on him. I know not why.' "'There are two or three reasons why,' said Sir Harry Grey. first it is evident that this charge is his hatching, "'and yet he puts the fighting part upon his cousin.' now very wise, too,' exclaimed Sir William Geary. first because Hugh de Mothma would break his neck "'as a man does a rabbit with his little finger. "'Next, because there is but one between him and the earldom of Ashby, "'and a good lance and a fair field is very likely to diminish the number.' It is just possible, said Grey, that he may have taken means to diminish the number already. Sir William Geary shrugged his shoulders significantly, but made no other answer, and the conversation dropped. Such as it was, however, it was a fair specimen of many others that took place in Nottingham that day. But Richard de Ashby heard them not, for he was many miles away, deep in conference with his companion, Ellaby, who remained to watch the progress of events hidden in the wild and mountainous parts of Derbyshire. Nevertheless, that night towards seven o'clock, when everyone in Nottingham had returned home from the sightseeing and amusements of the day, and all was profoundly quiet, both in the castle and the town, two armourers who sat burnishing a magnificent hauberk in the outer chamber of the young Earl of Ashby's apartments in Nottingham Castle were interrupted by someone knocking at the door. In a loud voice they bade the visitor come in, and in a moment after, the brown face and head of an old woman were thrust into the room, asking to see the Earl of Ashby. The two men had been going on merrily with their work, giving no thought or heed to the bloody purposes which the weapons under their hands were to be applied to, nor of the danger that their lord ran, should that linked shirt of mail prove insufficient to repel the lance of an enemy. They looked up then, as cheerfully as if the whole were a matter of sport, and one of them replied, He will not receive you, good dame, seeing you are old and ugly. Had you been young and pretty, by my faith, you would have found admission right soon. What is it that you wish? I wish to tell him, answered the old woman, that he is wanted immediately down at the house of Sir Richard de Ashby. Well, well, cried the man, I will tell him, get thee gone and close the door after thee for the night's wind is cold thus saying he went on with his work and seemed to have no inclination to break off for the purpose of carrying any messages whatsoever come come cried his companion you must tell my lord that will do an hour hence he replied to-morrow morning will be time enough if i like it what should richard de ashby want with my lord borrow money i dare say some jew has got him by the throat and won't let him go there let him stay nasty vermin nay nay then i will go said his brother armourer rising and proceeding into another chamber where several yeomen and a page were sitting to the latter of whom he delivered the message and then returned to his work the young earl of ashby was seated in an inner room with but one companion when the old woman's commission was at length executed "'I am glad to hear he has returned,' he said as the page closed the door. "'I wonder he comes not hither, but I will go and speak with him. "'My mind misgives me, Sir Guy, my mind misgives me. "'And what you say does not convince me. "'My sister knows better. "'Lucy is truth itself. "'Remember, sir, I have to swear that my quarrel is just, "'that I believe, so help me God, "'that my charge is true.' "'I doubt it, Guy de Margan, I doubt it. "'If you can give new proof, speak. "'But tis useless to repeat over and over again "'what I have heard before and what has been refuted.' "'It may be that your cousin, my lord, "'can furnish you with new proof,' said Guy de Margan. "'Tis on that account perhaps he has sent for you.' "'I will go directly,' cried the earl, starting up. "'I will go directly. "'But where does he live in Nottingham?' I thought he was in the castle with the rest, or at our lodging in the town, down at the house of Sir Richard de Ashby. Where may that be, I wonder?' "'I can show you, my lord,' answered Guy de Margan. "'Tis half a mile hence, no more.' "'Tell me, tell me,' replied the earl. "'I will go by myself.' "'I will put you in the way, my lord,' said his companion, "'and leave you when you are in the street. You will never find it by yourself.' Giving him but little thanks for his courtesy, the young earl strode into the ante-room, and with none but a page to carry his sword, and Guy de Margan by his side, issued forth into the court of the castle, and thence through the gates into the dark streets of Nottingham. "'Had you not better have a torch, my lord?' said Guy de Margan. "'No, no,' replied the earl. "'Tis but that our eyes are not accustomed to the obscurity. "'We have no time to wait for torches.' The hour of supper will be here anon. Down the first flight of steps, my lord, said Guy de Margan, let us not miss the mouth of the alley. Oh, it is here. And hurrying on with a quick step, the two gentlemen and their young attendant descended to the lower part of the town and entered the street in which Richard de Ashby had hired the house we have so often mentioned. When they had proceeded some way down it, the young earl asked, with even more than his usual impatience, are we not near it yet? Yes, my good lord, replied Guy de Margan. You can now find it for yourself, I doubt not. Tis the first small house standing back between two large ones, with eaves shooting far over into the street. I shall find it, I shall find it, cried Alured de Ashby. Good night, and thanks, Sir Guy. We shall meet again to-morrow. With this short adieu, he took his way forward, and in his quick, impetuous haste had well-nigh passed the house which he was seeking. But the boy pulled him by the sleeve, saying, This must be it, my lord. And looking round, he plunged into the dark, retreating nook in which it stood, and, feeling for the door, struck sharply upon it with the hilt of his dagger. For near a minute there was no sound, and the young earl was about to knock again when a light, shining through the chinks, showed him that somebody was coming. He drew back a step, and a moment after the door was opened with a slow and deliberate hand, which suited ill with the young nobleman's impatient mood. The sight that he beheld, however, when his eyes recovered from the first glare of the light, struck him with surprise, and calmed him also, for the effect of gentler feelings than those which had lately agitated his bosom. It was the form of fair Kate Greenlee that presented itself— It was her face that the rays of the lamp shone upon, but, oh, what a change had been wrought in that face even within the last three days. Still more terrible was the alteration since the Earl had last seen it, when he jested for a moment with his cousin's leman some months before in Hereford. Then it had been bright and blooming, full of life and eagerness, with much of the loveliness which then characterised it, depending upon youth and high health now though beauty still lingered and the fine line of the features could not be altered yet the face was sharp and pale and worn the lips bloodless and the bright dark eyes though shining with almost preternatural lustre had a fixed stern look no longer wild and sparkling but full of intense thought and strong yet painful purpose the form too seemed shrunk and changed the grace indeed remained but the rounded contour of the limbs was withered and gone. "'Why, Kate!' exclaimed the girl. "'Why, how now? What is this? You seem ill!' "'I seem what I am, my lord,' replied Kate Greenly. "'I am glad you are come. Your presence is much wanted.' "'Where?' demanded the earl. "'What do you mean, my poor girl? Some new mishap, I warrant you? "'Where is my presence wanted, Kate?' "'I will show you, my lord,' replied Kate Greenly, "'if you will follow me.' and she led the way up the stairs. At the end of the first flight the earl paused, saying, "'Is not Dickon here, that he comes not forth?' Kate gave him no direct answer, merely replying, "'This way, my lord, this way, sir.' "'He must be ill,' thought the earl, "'and she too is ill, that is clear. Tis some fever belike. "'I have heard there is one in Nottingham.' At the top of the next flight the girl laid her hand upon the latch of a rough door— "'formed of unsmoothed wood, "'holding the lamp so as to give the earl light in his ascent. "'The moment after she opened the door and entered, "'leading the way towards the foot of a small bed, "'by which was burning a waxen paper. "'The earl followed, murmuring, "'This is a poor place,' "'but raised his eyes as he approached the foot of the bed, "'and to his surprise beheld the ghastly face of a dead man, "'stretched out with a sprig of holly resting on his breast.' "'Good heaven!' he exclaimed. "'Who is this?' "'The murderer of your father,' replied Kate greenly, without adding a word more. Allured de Ashby clasped his hands with deep and terrible emotion. His mind, at the moment, paused not to inquire whether the tale were true or false, but flashing at once through his heart and brain came the feeling of wrath, even at the inanimate mass before him. For the deed that had been done, mingled with grief and anxiety at having charged it upon another, and the memory of all the embarrassments which that charge must produce. "'The murder of my father?' he said. "'The murder of my father? Is that the murderer of my father?' "'Then Mothama is innocent.' "'As innocent as yourself,' replied Kate greenly. "'This is one of those who did the deed.' but there were more than one. Euda however, was many a mile away, and there lies the man who struck the first blow. "'Look here,' she cried, and partly drawing down the sheet, she pointed to the wound upon the dead man's breast, saying, "'There entered your father's sword, for the old man died gallantly, and sent one at least to his account.' "'Ay, I remember,' replied the earl thoughtfully. "'They found his sword naked and bloody.' "'But how is this?' he continued, turning towards Kate and gazing on her face. "'You seem to know it all, as if you had been present. "'Now I perceive what makes you haggard and pale.' "'Tis seeing such sights as this,' replied Kate greenly. "'Aye, and many another sad cause besides. "'But you ask how I know all this. "'I will tell you, Earl of Ashby, "'by taking down from that man's own lips in his dying moments "'the confession of his crime.' The priest adjured him to make full avowal of the truth, not only to the ear of the confessor, which could but benefit his own soul, but for the ear of justice, that the innocent might not be punished for the guilty. Such confession as he did make, I myself wrote down. He signed it with his dying hand, and I and Father Mark were the witnesses thereunto. Here is the paper. Read and satisfy yourself. The priest I have sent for, he will soon be here." Allured de Ashby took the paper and, by the light of the lamp held by Kate Greenlee, read the few words that it contained. "'I do publicly acknowledge and confess,' so ran the writing, which followed exactly the broken words of the dying man, "'that I, Ingelram Dighton, did, on the afternoon of Tuesday last, together with three others—no, I will not mention their names—' Who had come down with me the day before from the good city of London, lay in wait for the Earl of Ashby at a place called the Bull's Hawthorn. I struck him first, but only wounded him, whereupon he drew his sword and plunged it into my side, from which I am now dying. The Lord have mercy upon my soul. El. But no, I will not mention his name. Another man stabbed him behind, and we threw him into the pit. The Lord Hugh de Mothimer had nothing to do with the deed. We used his name because the person that set us on wanted the charge to fall on him, and a letter was written as if from him, asking the old Earl to see him alone at the place of the murder. But he never wrote it, or knew of it. I have never seen him, or spoken to him in my life, but only heard that morning that he had escaped from prison. This has been read over to me, now dying, at the house of Sir Richard Ashby, and I swear by the Holy Sacrament and all the Saints that it is true. So help me God. It was signed with a shaking hand, Ingelram Dighton, and below were the names of Kate Greenley and the priest as witnesses. The young Earl read and re-read it, and then, looking upon his companion somewhat sternly, he asked, "Why did you not produce this before?" For many reasons, replied Kate Greenley calmly first, because I had not the means. Do you suppose that the cruel and deceitful villain into whose power I have fallen leaves me to roam whither I please? Tis but when he is absent that I dare quit the house. In the next place you were at Lindwell, and in the next I wished, ere I brought forward even so much as this, to have the whole in my hands, to be able not only to say, this man is innocent, but also, that man is guilty. I tell you, Earl, I would not now have told you what I have, but that you must not risk your own life in a false quarrel, nor bring upon yourself the guilt of slaying another for deeds that he did not commit. Knowing as much as you do now know, it is your task and duty to sift this matter to the bottom, and to discover the instigator of this murder, for he who now lies there, and his companions, were but tools. I am ready and willing to speak all I know, when the time and place is fitting, Yet you must be neither too quick nor too slow. If you are too slow, I shall not be here. My days are numbered, and are flying fast, and if you are hasty, the guilty one will escape you. "'And who is the guilty one?' demanded Ayurid to Ashby, bending his brows sternly upon her. "'Who is the guilty one? Name him, girl, I adjure thee. Name him. Name him, if ever thou hast had the feelings of a child towards a father.' Kate gave a low cry, as if from corporeal pain. And then, shaking her head mournfully, she said, I have had the feelings of a child towards a father, Earl of Ashby. And for the sake of your false cousin, I tore those feelings from my heart in spite of all the agony. For his sake, I brought disgrace upon my father's house. For his sake, I strewed ashes upon a parent's head. For his sake, I poured coals of fire upon my own. "'And how has he repaid me? "'But you ask me, who is the man? "'I will not be his accuser till all other means fail. "'I will not be accuser and witness, too. "'You have the clue in your hands. "'Use it wisely and firmly, "'and you will soon discover all you seek to know.' The Earl gazed in her face for a minute, with a keen and searching glance, then turned his look once more upon the corpse, took a step or two nearer, and examined the features attentively. "'Give me the lamp,' he said, and taking it from her hand, he bent down his own head, and seemed to scan every lineament, as if to fix them in his mind for ever. But his thoughts were, in reality, turning to the past, not the future. And raising himself to his full height again, he added aloud, "'I have seen that face before, though where I cannot tell. The memory will return, however. How came he here? Who brought him here to die?' "'Those who took him hence to slay,' answered Kate greenly. "'Didst thou ever see him before that day?' demanded the earl. "'Twice,' was the reply. "'Hark! There is the curfew!' exclaimed the earl. "'I must away.' "'Stay till the priest comes,' cried Kate eagerly. "'He will be here ere long.' "'I cannot,' answered Alurid de Ashby. "'I am expected at the castle even now. "'But fear not that I will forget this business.' "'I will find out the truth, even if I have to cut it from the hearts of those that would conceal it. And I will be calm, too, tranquil and calm and cautious.' "'Go, then,' said Kate. "'You tell me. But no, you will not dream of it. You have no thought of meeting in arms an innocent and blameless man upon a false and unholy charge. Promise me. Promise me.' "'I will make no promise,' answered the Earl. "'You seem to feel some deep interest in this Mothama.' "'I never saw his face but twice,' replied Kate solemnly. "'I never heard his voice but once. "'I have no interest in him, but weak and fallen and disgraced as I am. "'I have still an interest in right and truth. "'Neither would I see you fall before his lance, "'for fall assuredly you will, if you go forth to meet him.' "'Nay, look not proud, Earl of Ashby, before a dying girl. "'Who knows naught of these haughty strifes?' and I can little tell whether you or he, if all were equal, would bear away the prize of chivalry. But I say, all is not equal between you, and if you meet Hugh de Mothma, you fall before his lance as sure as you now live. For he is armoured in high innocence, with a just quarrel, and an honest name to vindicate. You fight, weighed down with a consciousness of wrong upon your arm, a false oath upon your lips, and doubt and discouragement at your heart. Were you twenty times the knight you are, that burden were enough to make you fall before a peasant's staff. One thing, however, I have a right to demand. You shall give that paper to Prince Edward, fully twelve hours before you go into the lists. This you must promise me to do, or I myself will go and cast myself—I have no right to refuse,' interrupted the earl. "'On my honour, as a knight, the prince shall have the paper.' "'Be you ready to prove that it is genuine?' "'I am ever ready,' answered Kate, "'and though I may shrink and quiver like a wounded limb "'when the surgeon draws the arrow forth, "'yet I shall be glad when each step of my bitter task is begun "'and the time of rest comes nearer. "'If they wish to remove his body,' she added as the earl walked towards the door, "'let them do it,' answered Allured. "'Let them do it. They shall be watched.' Thus saying, he left the room and slowly descended the stairs kate Greenley lighting him down to the bottom he went thoughtfully and sadly with a heart full of gloom anxiety and strife but there were kindly parts in his character too and when he reached the bottom step he turned and looked once more in the face of his unhappy companion then taking her hand he said poor girl i am sorry for thee can naught be done to save thee nothing my lord replied kate Greenley calmly I have but one saviour, and he is not of earth. End of chapter thirty-eight.